0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode four hundred and forty-seven. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace and Text Expander. My name is Mike Hurley and I am joined by a very special guest, underscore David Smith. Hi, David. Hello. So I called you David there. I always call you Dave. That just tends to be how I refer to you. I don't know if Dave is a chosen like a chosen nickname for you, but I do call you Dave a lot. Is that okay, Dave? Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally fine. Most okay. I would say most people call me Dave. I'm like formally David, and then
0: informally underscore. Yes, so. or just under for sure. Yeah. Uh, you have an honor today. Do you know what that honor is? I do not know what that, other than being on an upgrade, which is in itself an honor. So Jason's on vacation. He's on vacation for the next two weeks, and you are my first guest host of the show. Well, that, that is quite is quite an honor, right. and quite a special feeling. Like There was an episode, I think, last year uh, where Jason went away, and, but he was still on the episode. We recorded some stuff in advance, and I had a bunch of guests, and we did guests like segments. So you are the first person to fill in for Jason in full in the 447 episodes that we've been doing this show. Well, I will do my best. I I bring the big guns, you know? When I I need a good guest host, I bring an underscore. And I have a Smith Talk question for you to start this week's episode of the show. Peter wants to know, how did you settle on the underscore for your online handle? Where did that come from? Sure. So as
1: you might imagine, having a name, David Smith, it is quite popular. There are many of us (laughs) um, in the world. It has caused all manner of challenge and... Hilarity over the course of my life, having a name that is, I think, by many measures, perhaps the most popular uh, name in the world, uh, certainly in the e- uh, English-speaking world, um, and it is definitely you know been interesting. So whenever I sign on to a new service, so in this case uh, where the story starts was on Twitter, I was uh, signing up for an account there. Obviously, I did, I couldn't get at David Smith. That would have been, uh, or even Dave Smith. I couldn't. You know, n- n- no version of my name would have been available, and I believe. The the best I could do, and I'm not a big fan of, like, throwing numbers at the end of my handle or anything like that. Like, that's not going to work. So I did the David Smith initially, Ooh. which were was available. And then, like, just, like, maybe two days later. And this is, I mean, I was, no nobody, I had no, no followers. It was no anything. It was just, like, me on tr- trying to get, uh, see what Twitter was. And then, like, two days later, my, like, shyness kind of kicked in. And I was like, ooh, that sounds kind of presumptuous. Like that, <laughs> <It does. laughs> like, I'm the, un- you know, the David Smith, like all the other David Smiths. No, no, no. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're not the one you want. I'm the one. And so I was like, ooh, yeah. And I'm going to be a little, I'm too shy for that. So instead I was like realizing that, oh, you can actually just like throw underscores into uh, Twitter as, and that's a, a valid character. And so I just p- replaced the the with an underscore um, and it became... You know, underscore David Smith. And then I think the nickname itself kind of got started by Marco Arment, who started referring to me as just underscore um, on Build and Analyze. This is probably yeah. like, I don't know, whatever, whatever that is. It's 10, ancient history now. Yeah, is it's like what t- it is. 10, 12 years ago. He that And that's much. just what he referred to me as, it's like underscore. And then it just, it stuck because- rather than saying underscore David Smith, you just say underscore. And it it's, it's a, works well as a nickname and has kind of stuck with me ever since. And I appreciate it because, it's, I mean, even in Apple, like the Apple world, there are other David Smiths. Like there's an Apple, uh, there's a David Smith who works at Apple who works on foundation. Um, and that has caused challenges for both of us uh, oh. over the last few years. So, you know, just being underscore, being it, that that's a great way to kind of differentiate between myself and the other
0: David Smiths out there. You didn't consider like, david smith official or anything like that you know like you went for the david smith you can be like the real david smith no you know? i yeah it's i
1: mean for those are even those are even more presumptive i think so
0: i really like that you went with the and then, and then changed your mind i'm happy yeah. you changed your mind but that is very fun and i will say as well if you would have been able to claim david smith on twitter that wouldn't have been a good thing for you right because you wouldn't have been the same everywhere else right like it, it was yeah. you know wouldn't have got that handle in other places if you would like to send in a question to help us open a future episode of the show, I'll say in advance, next week's guest is the one and only Casey Liss. So if you would like to send in a List Talk question for next week's episode, just go to UpgradeFeedback.com and you can submit that. Thank you to everybody that does send in these questions every single week. Saddle up, David Smith, because we're heading down for a rumor roundup. Yeehaw! Thank you. Someone finally gives me what I'm looking for. Uh, I have a report from Digitimes that the 15-inch MacBook Air is set to launch in Q2 of this year. Uh, As of right now, it is unclear if these machines will see an M3 chip or they'll be sticking with the M2 chips. So, Dave, I know that you were a big fan of the 12-inch MacBook, right? I know there are stories told of you sliding one inside of an inside jacket pocket. So I'm assuming a bigger MacBook Air is not necessarily of interest to you, but I do wonder what you think about this product entering the lineup. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I think this feel, A, it's just kind of interesting to transition away from air being small like initially i would say when the you know when the air first launched it was one of its big things that it was you know small enough to fit in a envelope was like mm-hmm. a you know that's how it was reversed revealed and i think air has now sort of just in some it's, it's it's sort of instead been sort of basic or you know initial rather than having the sense of it being always the smallest and so introducing a big macbook air it's kind of an interesting evolution of uh, of that name, and I think probably is representative of where this falls in the lineup now. Whereas I don't think it, you you know it, it's it's not necessarily related to its size anymore. I think people think of a MacBook Air as the entry level MacBook, but if you if you want an Apple laptop and you don't want to spend a lot of money or you don't have huge you know needs for it that's what you get is you get a Macbook air and I think that could make some sense as to why they would you know introduce a bigger one as another way to kind of in- increase their margins uh, you know presumably you know it'll cost you know a hundred or two hundred dollars or three hundred dollars more than uh, the smaller size and mm-hmm. I think the thing that really makes me curious with this is like is it going to fall to the same fate as the uh, the 14 plus? this last iPhone cycle where they took the base and added a bigger version of it. And mm. it has not been selling nearly as well as I think perhaps Apple would have liked or expected it to. That um, it continues, I think, is being outsold by the just the iPhone 14, like three to one in yeah. my stats, like for my apps. And it, I can't imagine that's what they hoped for for this device. And I think it's interesting with this is like, are people buying the Air and it's, it's so popular because it's cheap? Or because it's an air, and if they're buying it because it's an air and they love the air, oh, it's an air but bigger would be great. If really what they want is cheap, then it may not actually be um, as compelling of a device. And so I think that's what I'm really curious to see with this um, sort of a larger air to see if it is actually successful or if people are actually just they'll just be they'd rather get you know uh, a basic MacBook Pro if they want a bigger device uh, because they want the power and the other capabilities of that. And this may actually not have great fit, but we'll have to wait and see.
0: As you mentioned that, it does strike me that this is an interesting product to add to the lineup no matter how it falls, right? Where it's like either scenario A, that it's just not popular because people want to get the MacBook Pro in the same way that they do the Pro iPhone. Or option B, people buy the 15-inch MacBook Air instead of a MacBook Pro. (laughs) So it's like, you know, like either way that it falls, it's an interesting There is a potential interesting downside. I guess Apple is expecting that a 15-inch MacBook Air may bring more people into the MacBook Air line that would otherwise be elsewhere. Um, I do wonder. Like, there's it's an interesting thing that you pose about the iPhone if it will stretch over. My feeling, my gut feeling, is that people buy the Pro iPhones because they want the best iPhone. Where when it comes to laptops, I'm not sure if they're the same status symbol. I think a lot of people would just want a bigger screen for their laptop and so sure. they would get the MacBook Air um, but I don't know and like similarly is will this become the standard issue laptop from corporations because it seems to be that macbook airs or macbook pros are or the as we found out when i got seven hundred thousand people writing to me that like the 16 inch macbook pro tends to be a pretty standard issue we'll find out but either way i'm actually i I am happy that apple is continuing to expand the line but it is going to be fascinating to see what fate this product ends up having exactly yeah and 9to5Mac reports that they have obtained renders of the upcoming iPhone 15 Pro. They have like a CAD model that they are able to uh, develop and show off. So I'll tell you what we see here. So we see a USB-C port. We see, which we'd kind of expected, a thicker camera bump, which we had expected. But it is worth noting, this is the Pro model, not the Pro Max, where we're expected to see even more changes from a periscope lens. I expect it will be even bigger. Um, and then there are a couple of things that are that are newish here from some of the stuff we've been talking about recently. So there have been some rumors of the volume and the uh, sleep-wake button becoming capacitive with haptic feedback, kind of like the old Touch ID button rather than a clicky button. Uh, and 9to5 say that these renders indicate that this will be the case. And also the glass on the screen, so like you know, on the front of the device, features more of a curve to the kind of frame of the phone, making it a smoother transition with the frame itself carrying more of that curve. So rather than these kind of very harsh, straight, flat sides and sharp corners, the iPhone might get a bit rounder and softer in its feel again. Does any of this intrigue you at all, Dave? I mean, I think it's it's, it's such
1: a, a, a tricky thing where I feel like the physical shape and dimensions of iPhones, I don't think matter very much to anyone I know. Like, I mean, there, I think there are people who care about that, mm-hmm. but I don't think the vast majority of people, myself included, really don't care too much. Like, I, I buy an iPhone and it goes into a case. I never really see the shape of the phone again. Like, it's the entire... Uh, my entire experience of it is the quality of the screen and the, I guess, the physical dimensions, like, width and, you know, sort of, sort of the width and height of the screen... Uh, but beyond that, like having a slightly thicker camera bump or having curves that are slightly, you know, more rounded, I just don't, it's, it's the kind of rumor or the kind of aspects of a device that doesn't particularly seem to matter, uh, Because, I mean, there are people who use their phone without a case, but they are few and far between. And Mm -hmm. as soon as you put it in a case, like having a slightly more curved transition, like if anything, it makes me wonder, it's like, oh, is this going to make it harder to put on a screen protector or those types of things where, you know, if you have the more rounded you make things, the harder those types of things. things become. And when I think of the capacitive, the buttons potentially going capacitive, it's like, I just hope they work. Like, especially, I mean, the the volume ones I'm less worried about, I feel like I use those and those are used much less frequently um, than the sleep-wake button, which is you. you, you is probably, you know, I probably am pushing that hundreds of times in a day to sleep my phone when I'm about to put it in my pocket. Um, and if it's not 100% reliable, like if, if that's 99% reliable, um, it's going to be annoying because that 1% is, you know, many times in in a day, and so it's like it sounds reasonable. It's interesting that it does. It doesn't seem like it's a dramatic year. It's still. I feel like we've been on the same general design language for these mm. phones for. This will be what the third-ish year, third yeah, or I fourth year. Twelve like it's, was the first yeah. one
0: that had this kind of design on it.
1: Yeah, and it's like it's a slight change, but it feels much more like we've had. I think maybe this was the seven where there was a ser- this. This the, there was a period where it was like they just kept they started with a basic design and they just kept rounding things off.
0: Yeah. Um that as the, the change. side with the six.
1: Yeah. And so like, that seems to where we're going, but it's like, it's fine. Like, I, I mean, the reality is it's like, I, I I'm always excited for new iPhones because the, it's, the shape of it is not the interesting part. It's what's going inside that shape. And what's, you know, it's like, if you make the camera bumping thicker, that's exciting because the camera's going to be better. And that's always exciting for me. But you know, the, Seeing the physical dimensions of it is just kind of like eh, doesn't really matter. Um, and I mean, I'm always excited when like, and it, like make that c- camera bump as thick as you want. Like just go wild with it because it's you know I'm I- I'm the kind of person who has an iPhone in a card case, so the, the you know my case is super thick anyway, so it doesn't even matter to me. It's like make that as you know you put it, you could put a you know like a you know just like a like a Leica thickness camera like a camera of the thickness of a Leica camera in there, and I'd be happy. Like I
0: don't care. I just you know just give me awesome pictures. I had two thoughts on this. One, well, actually, I I have three thoughts now. I just had a different one. Uh, One, I hope that they don't get rid of the switch for the mute. Like, if everything's going to be, like, capacitive or, like, I guess kind of solid state, right? Like, there's no physical movement. I'm worried about the mute switch (laughs) because that is a very important, like, just you know it's muted, right? You can just put your hand in your pocket and feel that the phone is mute, is on mute. I would be sad if they got rid of that. Uh, two, I wouldn't mind this at the moment because right now on my my current iPhone 14 Pro Max, the sleep wake button has become a little spongy. I don't know what's happened. Like maybe I spilled something on my phone. I don't know what's going on, but it's now not working very reliably. So I wouldn't mind it if nothing could get in there. Sure. Um, and then this is more of kind of like an existential thing. <laughs> I was think I was thinking about this the other day. I don't use a case on my phone, right? Yeah, And I enjoy that feeling. But really, everybody, by and large, does use a case on their phone, right? Like, I yeah. feel like I am in a tiny percentage. Why do they make these things out of glass still? Like, if everybody's just going to put a case on it, like, and we all know that, and Apple knows that, and they want you to buy cases, like, well, obviously, they want you to buy cases. But, like, why do we continue to make these products at least especially the back of them, out of a breakable material, if everyone's gonna put a case on it to stop their phone from breaking if they drop it. It's just an yeah. interesting thought, Diane. Yeah, and
1: it'd be like it's it's like it's almost like they're trying to optimize for that experience of going into an Apple store, picking the one up off the desk and holding it in your hand. Yep. And that being feeling premium, that feeling beautiful in a way that is not actually representative of you know your actual use of it. They you know it's almost like if the display model was glass and then the one that you could buy came with a plastic back. Like I'd be perfectly happy with that. Like I'd be I'd love it if my phone was a little bit lighter mm-hmm. and was much more durable. Like that sounds a great a great trade off to me. But I could understand not wanting to have people pick up the phone in the Apple Store and have it feel less premium. To have it feel like it's plastic
0: like there's it's just, just so strange right cuz yeah. like everyone's popping off in the live discord right now telling me that it's for signal it's for wireless charging but all of these things work through plastic cases right so that's obviously yeah. not the reason and it is this strange thing of like i c- i believe you like what you're saying i believe that is the case right that they do it because you want the thing to feel premium but then if you're going to put a case on it what does it matter you know, I don't yeah. know. just like i i would i would like it if Apple started to experiment with this stuff, but in a way that made sense. Because a couple of years ago, Samsung put a plastic back on one of their like mainline phones, and people lost their mind. And I was disappointed at them because they didn't change the price, right? <laughs> like it was still sure. the same price as it would have been if it had glass on it is how it appeared. So that would be the thing, right? If they were going to do that, it would have to be some kind of balance, which is probably why they'll never do it. But still, it was just like a, a funny thought to me. Like we, they put all this time and effort and money and we pay all this money on these expensive materials, but then you just put a plastic case around it and never think about it. Yeah, exactly. This device is also
1: you missed. You skipped over. It's also it seems to confirm that it's USB C, which I think is mm-hmm. also a pretty like nice confirmation that that's actually seems to be coming this year rather than at some point in the future, like after you know if Apple fights the EU or whatever. Like it seems like nope. It, it seems this this is going to be the year that it's going to go USB C and Lightning will be uh, behind us
0: at least. At least on the pro phones. I expect yep. that it will be USB C on the pro phones this year and then on everything next year. I reckon that's how they'll do it. Just to try and get the last like the last advantage they can get from USB C, right? <laughs> to be like, oh, it's it's an upsell for for just one year and then it will trickle out to everything. I have a question for you, actually. As a developer, do you think and do you want the regular phones, the the regular iPhone 15, to get the Dynamic Island this year? I think. I mean, yes. I think is is certainly the answer to that.
1: Just in so, far, it, the Dynamic Island is such a a weird feature that it. I think a lot of it's it's really hard to explain or to be excited about it unless you use a phone that has it. Like it's a very. And this is just something I found from I mean I've been work, doing a lot of work recently with adding dynamic island support to one of my apps and like I when I'm explaining the feature to people it, it they kind of don't really get it unless they hold it in their hands and can actually see what's happening that when you explain well you know like while you're going to other apps the a small tiny version of your app will be visible in the top in the top of the screen and you can prolong press on that to see it or tap it to go to that app um and there's a, a com- sort of a complexity to that that I think is really hard to explain And so expanding the number of phones that can support that, that can do that, um, it's like if this is a feature that Apple wants broad and wide developer support for, you know, making that a wide uh, feature is just, I think, is the only way that that's going to happen. And I feel like the Dynamic Island, I mean, we're... What are we four or five months on since it was first introduced? And mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that you know, as a developer feature, it's co- sort of really caught on in a in a big broad way. There's a couple of use cases for it here and there. There's some apps to support it, but it doesn't seem to have had that. And I think part of that is it has, it has sort of hasn't had a big moment. It wasn't like you know when it first came out, it was very exciting and trending and all those kinds of, of features. And I think. That's partly because it's only on the high end phone of the current generation. And so it's going to be a long time. And if they keep it in the pro phones, it's going to be even longer uh, before it's going to get there because none of the sort of hand me down, or the, I guess like the, whatever you would call it, the second tier phones next year, where, you know, at some point the iPhone 14 is going to you know, be a hundred dollars less and move down in the line, it's not going to have it. And so if they don't get it into those kind of base models that stick around forever, um, it's just never going to be anywhere. And then at some point it kind of turns into a touch bar or something where it's this feature that is technically cool and interesting in some ways, but just never really catches on. And that would be, I think, a sad fate for the dynamic island.
0: I agree. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Text Expander. When you walk, work in a small team, every single moment counts. Because you don't want to be wasting your time finding video conferencing details to send to a new client. You don't want to have to spend a ton of time tracking down the same questions to answer for the FAQs that are on your company website. In fact, just today, Dave sent me a message and was like, are we going to use Zoom for this? And I said yes, and I typed ZZOO on my keyboard and it just pre-filled the message with my Zoom link because I just have that saved so I can very easily send someone my Zoom link when I need them to join a Zoom call with me. These are the kinds of things that you want at your fingertips so you can get your work done faster and easier. That is why you need text expander. With text expander you can access what you type the most with just a few keystrokes, allowing you to work faster and eliminate repetition so you can focus on what matters most and or get back to what it was you were doing. Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations streamline the work of your team as well. All you have to do is type that short abbreviation and let Text Expander do the rest. You can all just build and collect your most commonly used phrases, messages, URLs, and more right within Text Expander. Choose your abbreviations, and they'll be with you and your team wherever you're typing. You can even customize the snippets to make them feel more personal. You can add in dates, fill in the blank fields, timestamps, and more. Text Expander is available on any device that you use across. Any app that you use on the Mac, Windows, Chrome, and iOS. If repetitive typing is getting you down, you need Text Expander. Check out Text Expander today at textexpander.com upgrade and you can get 20% off your first year. We also use Text Expander here at Relay FM across the team. It makes sure that everybody has access to the information that they need and to keep our responses similar across multiple people. It's super awesome. That is textexpander.com upgrade. Go there today to find out how you can get 20% off your first year and to say Goodbye to repetitive typing. A thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. According to Mark Gurman at Bloomberg, Apple has delayed the launch of their headset to WWDC this year. As quoting from Mark Gurman, Apple made the decision to delay the launch earlier this month after product testing showed that both hardware and software issues still need to be ironed out. Apple has been working to fix issues with sensors on the device to enable the hand and eye control mechanism. It's also trying to strike a balance between battery life and performance. I would say, on this one, considering this was supposed to be a march is what the original rumor was, feels like they're cutting this one really close if they're still making these decisions about the hardware maybe not being where they want it to be, right? Yeah, I mean,
1: I mean, even WDC is close. I mean, I yes. think I was do, I looked on a calendar and based on like the most likely day, you know, if, if WDC is the first Monday, um, in June, that's like a hundred and five days from now. I mean, if for if the hardware isn't final, like it's not going to be, you know, you're you're not going to be mass producing these in a hundred and five days if you haven't locked in the hardware at this point. So, I mean, in general, it feels super like down to the wire and. I mean, they keep moving this forward in a way that, I mean, obviously they haven't, they've never announced anything. So it's always just like entirely speculative, but it seems externally based on the rumors that it continuously yep. is getting pushed forward and forward and forward. And it's like, at some point, you just kind of have this feeling of like, man, like, how are they, how are they ever going to get across the line? If they just, you know, it's like every time they get close, it just gets kind of pushed out another three, in three months, another six months, whatever it is.
0: I can imagine that genuinely the the reason they've chosen WWDC, it is the very end point because this is whatever it is they're not going to be shipping these things in july right like they will start shipping towards the end of the year but if the plan is for this product to make sense they have to be able to show developers what the operating system is at wwdc this year like if they're not doing that you might as well wait another year and i don't think they have that ability anymore. Because I, I feel like, I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like as we are leading up towards this, thinking about what potentially could be on the roadmap this year, what all of the rumors seem to be pointing towards, this is the focus of 2023, especially for developers. So if they don't have it, there won't be a lot for people to get busy with. Yeah.
1: And I mean, that's always so hard to tell. Like, I mean, I would say the the software teams at Apple are so are by far the quietest, most secretive groups. And yep. so like there could be other amazing things down the road. I think there is certainly a lot of indication that, I mean, even just from a conceptual perspective, if Apple is launching a whole new platform, that whole new platform is almost certainly going to be a focus of WWDC. That's where they're going to, because that's just, there's the most to educate Developers about and WDC is functionally an education event. It is about them communicating to developers what they should be aware of, how they can actually use it, and that's the you know that is the venue for the. And they have other ways they can do that. Like if they didn't make WDC and they instead launched this in September, they could do tech talks and they can do videos, especially since WDC is much more virtual now. Um, I mean, I think the big thing they would miss out on is presumably if they have an event at WDC with this you know announced is the developers who are there in person and the you know invited guests and all of that will be able to try it out to experiment with it mm-hmm. you know you could imagine having on site labs where you know developers could use this before it actually is available you know even and I mean I don't it's the kind of device where I'm really curious if they're going to do kind of a development version of this where developers can buy it ahead of time, uh, you know, like they have done with like the Apple Silicon Max or um, some of the other devices. Or if it's going to be, you know, in order to use this, you have to be on site at Apple, and they may have like on site labs throughout the year. But I mean, having it ready by WDC gets rid of a lot of the initial complexity of that because you're going to bring, you know, whatever a thousand developers into one place, and so you can show it to them, you can have them try it on, and it seems a kind of device that no matter how good your simulator is that you can run on your Mac, it is not going to give you nearly the sort of the impression of how the device will actually work um, in practice, because the whole point of it is that it's kind of revolutionary as a display technology. And so, you know, it just doesn't really work that way.
0: And it does feel like the longer it is until they announce it, the less likely I believe that there would be developer kits. Like if there's not showing it until this time, until June, I don't imagine they would be like, hey, come here and get a developer kit and it'd be like a, a hardware unit. I mean, it would be incredibly helpful if, if Apple can do that, but I, I don't know how that's going to shake out. And I would imagine that for something like this, especially, a development kit would be really helpful for you, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think it's the only, it's going to be a really hard, difficult device to to develop for without something like that. I think you can do the basics, but actually experiencing like the experiencing the device is gonna be so important. I mean obviously and they could do things where you can run it with like a quest or something. Like you could use other kinds of VR devices to get some impression of it. But that seems very unApple like too to yeah. you know, that the developer kit is here, just, you know, use this competitor's device and it'll kind of give you some of the the impression of it. I think they would want developers developing on their hardware taking advantage of the things that kind of like only Apple can do that are, you know, that, that oh you couldn't do this on a quest because we have fancier screens or better processing or uh whatever that that thing is. And so But I've also done like on site you know, developer things before with other mm-hmm. devices, so Apple like Watch. the Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like where they didn't, there was no developer kit. Apple Watch they had an like an early access thing where they, if you were a developer, once they were available for public sale, you could like buy it from the developer team to get around kind of supply chain issues where it was you know in short supply. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a very different thing. But before that, even you know they had some on site labs where people could go and you know try out the Apple Watch uh, ahead of time, which I could see working with this, but.
0: Uh, I mean it it's just such a complicated device. Yeah. But if there's one platform we don't want to feel like it's the Apple Watch when it comes to development, right? Like that yeah. was a really tough really tough version 1 and the apps were not running very well for a long time, right? Yeah. And it was and it was because of was it uh WatchKit? Was that the name of it then? Yes. Right? So Watch like Kit it, 1. Yeah. So it wasn't even really a full OS, right? Like it, it, it things weren't running on the device. I'm, I'm trying to get my head around. You know, yeah. It. No, you and know, I, you I think I actually, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a very
1: good analogy for some of the questions I have about this device. Is in WatchKit One, the app ran on your iPhone and was being projected onto the screen of the Apple Watch. Kind of, it was almost like streaming the you know the the this the screen to the watch in real time mm-hmm. as you were using it, which meant it was there was lots of latency issues. There were a lot of and just complexity issues around that. And that's interesting for a device like this, because you have the same kinds of questions, like, is this device going to be reliant on another device? You know, is it going to be you pair it with your iPhone, and then it, you know, the iPhone is doing some of the heavy lifting for it? Or is it entirely independent, you could use it without any other device, you know, if you don't have an iPhone, you don't have a Mac, you could just get this and put it on and use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and or and that, you know, is this going to be different for developers than for Apple? Like there may be Apple apps that it could run completely independent and untethered with, but if you want to run developer apps, then you need to have an iPhone that you could load them on, you know, is the app store inside on your iPhone or is the app store inside um, the headset? Like I think these are some of the questions that will be very telling for what the initial developer experience is going to be like, and what the initial kind of breadth of what's possible is going to be there, because yeah. I mean, similarly with with WatchOS, like the early versions of WatchKit were so limited in what they could do, and it wasn't the technology that Apple was using to build their own apps; that it was this separate kind of second-class citizen version, and it wasn't really until uh, fairly recently, in terms of the lifespan of the watch, that I mean, maybe about half, you know four years ago, five years ago, that we could really make proper apps using the same technologies um, that Apple was using. And so like all those kind of questions really will, I think, define the early days. And it's like, we'll have to wait and see too. We're assuming that Apple wants really broad, wide, rich uh, developer experience. And it's like, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Maybe the early days are they're trying to be focused on their own apps, their core experiences, that they'll you know be able to tune to perfection because if they're really up against the edge of performance and battery life, that's going to be much easier for them to optimize for than to build something that third parties are able to do. And then you have to build so many more guardrails and things because you know a, a developer makes a bad choice, and then suddenly it just like destroys the battery life on the device. That reflects badly on Apple as well as the developer. And so you know if you've, that's the experience that people have when they first get it, um, it could be dangerous as well.
0: I feel like as you're explaining this to me, I'm coming around to the idea that there has to be some kind of development kit solution because there just isn't anything that can simulate this. Because even if you used headset by another brand, it's not going to have all of the features like one of the big features is foveated rendering, right? Which I think at the moment, I know the PSVR 2 just has, but obviously that's not going to work. But this is the idea that like it's using eye tracking to see where you're looking and then just rendering that part. Now that for certain types of experiences is going to be a very important part of the process, right? Like, especially if you're like a game developer and stuff, like seeing how that works inside of the environment that you're building will be important. It'll be important for testing. It's like you won't be able to test for things like that. The same for the hand tracking, right? So, the idea that we've been hearing time and time again is this device is all about hand tracking, hand tracking, hand tracking, hand tracking, no controllers. Well, no other device that's available on the market right now has very reliable hand tracking. So, The entire, this would be like saying, oh, here's the new iPad, but it has no glass on the screen, right? It's just like, and you have, it's like the entire interaction method relies on the good hand tracking. So unless Apple can get you hardware, you can't use anything to reliably simulate that yourself. Hmm.
1: And I think the only thing that I can think of there in terms of like without a developer kit or before general release of the device that I could imagine is like you could imagine them taking iOS components and letting you use them on this device without necessarily developing them on the device. So If you imagine like a live activity or a widget or some of those kind of rendering modes that they already have in iOS... You could bring those and have them available on a headset without needing a developer kit because they're doing all of the mm-hmm. complexity around rendering and placing them places and you know dealing with re- with inter- user interaction with finger tracking and all the things that are going on there. But if they just make it so that hey, if you want to have a uh, you know a, a live activity, you want to have a widget that you you know pin into your virtual world or whatever. That could be totally reasonable to be yep. de- to be developed without a developer kit. That it's just they add a new type in the way that with the iPad when they added widgets there, they added an extra large type, and I didn't need to have an iPad running iOS fifteen in order to tr- test that and you know be pretty confident that I had it right. I could do that in a simulator. You know, it's very it's just two dimensional and very similar to something we re- we already have. Those kind of experiences, I could see them very easily. Uh, developing with, without having a developer kit, and so it's entirely possible if they're going down that road, where initially there is limited developer support um, in terms of what's possible, or at least the broad uh, experience they're hoping from developers are existing experiences, like things like widgets or live activities. That could make a lot of sense. It's like if they, but if they want a rich experience that everyone's keeping, taking advantage of, not just the select game developers that they're you know bringing to the developer center in Cupertino and working with on site. Like that's where it gets much more of a complicated story. And I, I
0: certainly don't envy them trying to find that balance. As a developer yourself, right? So just developer part of David Smith, how are you feeling about the prospect of there being another platform that Apple produces? Like for you and for your workload? Like you you would you know, I know you, you don't develop any Mac OS apps, right? Uh not really, no. Right. So you're on iOS, iPad OS, watch OS. We'll call this reality OS. How does that feel kind of sitting here right now? What's
1: interesting about that is that I feel like this there's a deep tension I feel as a developer around like new platforms or new system capabilities have been like the cornerstone of my ability to be successful as a developer by being an early adopter, by being out on the cutting edge of whatever Apple's putting out there. Like that's something that as a small, you know, sort of like one person, independent, independent developer. That's what has allowed me to sort of shine in a way that I can move more quickly. I can get out onto these new platforms very quickly because I'm not a big team who has to get approval. I'm not like you know the Google Apps team who's trying to. I'm sure it's very complicated and difficult to work. You know, to get approval and to be there on day one. You know, I've a lot I've had a lot of success with doing that. Like that's how Pedometer Plus Plus, that's how Widgetsmith, how those two, you know, like those apps are successful because they were there on day one. And so I'm always excited when Apple adds a new platform, when they add something into this that I want to be there. Um, but it's complicated for this one where I feel like it seems like such a narrow use case and such a narrow audience for this platform that it's hard to be excited about it because i think it's gonna be very Complicated to sort of have it be something that you know is kind of worth the time and worth the investment in mm. in doing this because it's like if you only have a plan, you know it's it's I don't think they're going to sell nearly as many of these as they sold Apple Watches and the Apple Watch is a difficult platform to kind of get a good return on as a developer and so if you have a tiny fraction of that if you're talking about you know a, a user base in that should be measured in maybe hundreds of thousands to start with yeah uh, like you have to sell to a lot of them to make any income back. And you're going to need to be selling at a pretty high price, probably too, um, in order to kind of recoup anything there. And so it's like, I'm excited about it in that regard, but I'm also kind of skeptical that it's going to be kind of like worthwhile. And I feel like it may, I think it's potentially more likely that it ends up being like a tvOS or something where Mm. there's a very particular type of app where it makes sense to develop for, and then for the rest of the apps, um, it doesn't really kind of actually fit in. That in practice, there's not a good market there, there's not a lot of reason to show up unless you happen to be whatever platform that is. And it's like if widgets are a big thing on a headset, then I'll totally be there and that'll be super exciting. And it's yep. a new platform, yep. but if it's all about media consumption and communication, say, like it's you know, if it's for video apps and like you know Skype Zoom those kinds of apps
0: then it just wouldn't be for me and it would be I'd that. be happy
1: with that in some yeah. ways but it's that's kind of the tension that I'm feeling right now
0: but this is like a change in your attitude right where I feel like maybe David Smith of 2016 2017 You would have been like scrambling to try and think of like what is an app that works in this, where now you really do have a couple of very successful apps and you need to just work out how you can apply those to different things. As you say, right? Like, if they're like, hey, if you make widgets, you can bring them over. And as you mentioned a minute ago, like pin them to your virtual space. Like, you're there, right? Like, day one, you're in the app store, right? Because that is 100% your thing. And as you mentioned, if they did do that, probably wouldn't be very hard right because it is yeah. mostly that's the kind of stuff where they're like oh it's all Swift UI we're using Swift UI here too if you have this kind of application very easy to like compile you know for and then you just do some testing and bug squashing and you're done right like yeah I'm simplifying of course but it's it's a different aspect to uh, if you were to come up with a walking simulation app. Right. Yeah. And you did that. Right. Like that is a whole different kettle of fish completely. Yeah.
1: And and I think I've been burned in the past a bit. And part of the both in terms of just in terms of like there's a I could imagine coming up with like wild ideas and spending a lot of time, you know, say this summer, that's like that's all I'm working on. And I think it's difficult to imagine there being a big enough audience to for that to make a lot of sense is as I think the the maturity that I've come to as a developer that it's fun to do as a like as a hobby as something that's interesting to to play around with but if you're viewing it as a business coming to as a developer coming to this thing as a you know as as a platform that you want to support you know it it's if it's if it's you know a couple of thousand dollars as a device and it's potentially you know, very limited in scope and is a completely new paradigm for the vast majority of people. But they're not going to, you know, consider themselves as, you know, computing is, you know, sitting down in a chair or standing up with a headset on and closing yourself off in that way. Like that's just a very it's a totally new thing. And so that limiting of the the space is, I think, something that makes me tentative going into it in a way that obviously we'll have to see. You know, I could be totally Wrong about this, and they come back and they say, You know, we found a way to make this device, and it's super cheap and it's super amazing, like, and it's gonna have a wide audience. And that, you know, there's millions of these selling everywhere, and it's super, it's like the hit thing. And so, finding anything you can do to be on that platform will be important and will be kind of get a good return like that's certainly possible like apple has done that before of all the companies who could pull that off i'd you know certainly put apple at the top of the list but it's
0: the ipad right and we you know we're going to mention this before and we're going to mention it a million more times leading up to this product's launch but these were the rumors for the ipad it it was going to be really expensive like over a thousand dollars and it came in at five hundred and it blew up and everyone was very excited. Do you have interest in this device personally? I mean, not particularly. Like it's I think the only use
1: case for a device like this that I see myself potentially interested in is the use cases I've heard of around using it as a virtual display, um like if you're traveling or something like that. So like when I go to WWDC, I bring a whole bunch of you know sort of stuff to set up my work environment to be as productive as I can be you know away from my actual office which is you know and right now I'm sitting in front of a pro display xdr with my laptop on a stand and I got a keyboard and a mouse and all the things that I use to ergonomically be productive and effective and if there was a way to have a virtual pro display xdr with me anywhere in the world that I you know is relatively small and packable in a suitcase like that sounds super exciting. I'm skeptical that it would be in a similar experience, but if that's the case, like that would be awesome. Like that's a use case I could I could imagine, but it's I think tricky to imagine myself in that's even in that situation of wanting to have something like this on my face for 8 hours at a time or, you know, sort of for long stretches without that being something that is very fatiguing and difficult ergonomically and like diff- challenging on your neck and all those kinds of, uh, things. And, you know, sort of playing games on a device like this, isn't a use case that particular, like I'm not, I don't play many games as it is. And so having even more sort of, uh, having a much more involved experience that requires a lot of commitment, uh, for a game is going to be even more difficult. And so it's like, I find it really difficult to be excited about this personally in that way. And so, and maybe that's also part of, you know, why, you know, I have a little bit of sort of skepticism about it in in some ways in general, but I think like I look forward to be. Pro- I would love to be proven wrong in that way. Like, I'd be fantastic to, you know, have this device unveiled, have them show me what it does, and sort of have a, like a the aha moment of like, oh wow, no, that's amazing. Like, I really, um, you know, sort of like am blown away by by what it can do, but. As it is now, I'm interested in it mostly from a professional perspective as a platform that I want to support rather than, you know, as a personal matter being a device that I'm like super excited to, to get and to use
0: and, you know, would look forward to and camp out to day one for uh, at a personal level. And as a developer of apps on Apple's other platforms, how do you feel about the prospect of WWDC completely being overshadowed by this? Like, if they're going to, in WWDC keynote, they're showing off a new platform. I can't imagine there's much time for anything else, or it's going to be a two, two and a half hour WWDC keynote. Like, how does how does this make you feel? Of like, you know, I have all this other stuff that I do. I have, you know, ways I want to push my apps forward, but Apple will be spending their time talking about this instead.
1: Yeah, I mean. I think there are two versions of that scenario, and they would play very differently to how I would feel. I think in one scenario, it is it overshadows like the main keynote because there's the most to explain there. But the other platforms still have large, meaningful, robust announcements to yep. be had. Like there's lots of things happening still on Watch OS on iOS, um, and it's just they didn't talk about them in the keynote. And there's you know at w- after the keynote at the state of the union and at the videos that are being released throughout the rest of the week there's still tons of stuff and it's mm-hmm. super exciting like mm-hmm. i'd be fine with that like i don't care if the keynote is slim on what's on watch os which is probably like the platform you know closest to my heart like mm-hmm. that's that's fine to me as long as i'm getting a, a lot of stuff and what's new in watch os if it's the other version of that where it's it's the over- WWDC is overshadowed by this because that's all there is or that's prime that you know there's very minor incremental updates to the other platforms. Uh, I think I would feel kind of more sad by that That if it felt like the other platforms were being put on hold so that they could launch and focus on one on this new platform. Um, I think I would have a bit more frustration um, in terms of it would feel like the you know some of the other platforms that are I'm perhaps more directly and immediately excited about and whose changes and improvements will have a bigger impact to my users and to me. Um, like that would feel feel a bit more crummy. So it's like my hope is it's you know the the former version of that that even if it does have this big you know, it's the it's the talk of the show in terms of Apple's messaging and their PR strategy like that's fine as long as the actual story behind the scenes is that there's a lot of cool stuff that I can do and that I can look forward to launching um you know in September.
0: It would surprise me if they weren't able to still do other things on other operating systems because of this. I would understand it maybe more with the hardware, just because like it's just complex yeah. and they maybe needed to pull people in from all over. But you know, with the software stuff, it's not like I mean, I can I just imagine it's not like everybody who's working on iOS and WatchOS had to be pulled to develop the software for this thing. But I don't know. Yeah, it's like, that's it's certainly
1: possible that that would be the case, but it seems. Unlikely that there are certainly like there's a I'm sure there's dedicated people working on watchOS on Widget Kit, on Health Kit, on all of the other you know on swift ui on all of the other platforms. And if there's a you know, there might be some drain to that, but it doesn't seem like it should be you know that they couldn't do both at the same time. It would seem like a very strange staffing place for Apple to find themselves. That oh we just can't have enough you know we only have 20 engineers and so we have to focus them all on the news thing rather than being able to have different teams who can you know, take care of things and, you know, sort of juggle multiple platforms uh, being updated at the same time.
0: And I will just say personally, as a person who produces weekly podcasts about Apple, I'm really bummed out that they're not showing this off next month. Because I was like, my next few months are going to be easy, you know? March to WWDC, we could just talk about the headset. But now I've got to go all the way to June. Come on. Yes.
1: It is definitely frustrating in that perspective that it, it is not... I mean, I think anytime you have these big, like unanswered questions, I get, you know, it's, it's just, it, you want the answers as soon as you can, both I mean, from your perspective, from having content to talk about. And from my perspective, from having, you know, having certainty about the future just feels nice uh, in a way that it's, it's difficult to have this, like, is it, what's it going to be? Who knows? And having to wait longer and longer is is not a great place to be.
0: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all in one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell your products, services, or even the content that you create because Squarespace has got you covered. It's so easy to get started with Squarespace. You just sign up and you choose from one of their beautiful, best in class, award winning website templates. You can just browse the categories that they have to find the site type that you have, or maybe the business that you have to find the person. Perfect starting place. Everything is customizable with just a few clicks. You can choose branding. You can choose fonts. It's really easy to then move and drag things around on the page all in your web browser or on their app to really customize it to just look and feel like you want it to. And it's so simple to then add in additional functionality. If you want to sell products, physical, digital, it doesn't matter. They have all of the tools that you need to start selling this stuff online. And they have powerful blogging tools to share photos, videos, updates, and more. You can categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. I have been using Squarespace personally for over a decade at this point. I mean, it's got to be getting close to 15 years, which is just like a wild thing for me to think about now. But it is because if I want to put something online, I don't want to have to deal with any of the like complicated, hard stuff. I want to make the content. The content is what I care about. And Squarespace gives me all of the tools to be able to make that content sing. And so I can just focus on what it is I care about and not all of the stuff that I don't. So go to squarespace.com upgrade and you can sign up for a free trial today with no credit card required. Then when you're ready to launch, just use the offer code upgrade. You'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com upgrade. Then when you sign up, use the offer code upgrade to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the show. A thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Everyone's talking about AI these days, right? AI all over the place. I got access to the Bing, the the Bing AI search thing today. Oh, I just playing around with that. I will actually say I was. Try, I'm trying to plan a vacation, like me and Nadine are looking to take a vacation, um, and I got some good suggestions from Bing. It's like, oh, nice. good. But one thing that they've done, I mean, you probably saw the wild things it was doing like last week, right? Where people were breaking through. Ben Thompson's Stratechery article is not just one of the best things I've read from him. It's like one of the best things I've read in years. So it's called From Bing to Sydney. I'll put it in the show notes. You should go and spend some time reading it. It's unbelievable. Um, Also, Kevin Roos at the New York Times uh, had the column where uh, Sydney told him that it loved him yeah. which was like a whole other thing Uh, because of this the way that Microsoft I think is solving this for now is you can only ask five questions and then it makes you restart which was really annoying for me today because I was trying to refine some things uh, and I, I found that quite frustrating nevertheless you have been dabbling with another of OpenAI's projects which is I think currently one of the less sexy ones It's called Whisper. Like, you know, I feel like not a lot of people are talking about this. It's not Dali. It's not uh, ChatGPT. It's the same company, OpenAI. Whisper is a speech to text engine. And you have been feeding a selection of podcasts into Whisper. And I kind of wanted to get one, like, why are you doing this? And two, like, what has been your experience of this so far?
1: Yeah. And so I think that AI is definitely sort of like the, the technology of the moment in so many different ways, whether it's the image generation, the text generation, or in this case um, being able to convert spoken audio into text. And I feel like it's, there's the reason it's so kind of like of the moment and feel like it's, it's transformative in a way that it wasn't, you know, many of these technologies ex- have existed for a long times. So they're just, there's something different about it now. And that difference seems to have been this crossing, this point where suddenly these things that previously were just too computationally intensive to reasonably and pragmatically do kind of at scale. Now, suddenly we've been able to kind of cross that point where, as so as is so often with the case with technology, it goes from something that is niche and limited and requires very specialist tools and very specialist hardware to something that can be run much more broadly and at you know, just sort of at a scale that is different, that you can have hundreds of, you know, whatever, or tens of millions of people talking to ChatGPT, and it doesn't completely, you know, implode on itself and same thing with, you know, Mind Journey, Mid Journey, or any of the stable diffusion models. And with, in Whisper specifically's case, it's this difference of, you know, speech to text is something that has existed for a very long time. I mean, like Nuance and Dragon Dictate um, have been doing this, you know, for a very long time, you could be able to do automation on the Mac even with your voice and you know being able to speak to rather than type. you know there's a, some great accessibility things that are coming have been out of that for a while. But what made Whisper different and is interesting as a technology is that it is making this thing that previously was either very proprietary or very sort of expensive and complicated, something that anyone can run. On almost any device, um, in a way that is pretty performant, and certainly way more performant than it was before. That, you know. So what I do with with my podcast searching system is I've done this. I used to, you know, previously what I actually used to do is I, you know, I tried this before, and YouTube was the only place that would do kind of wide-scale automatic speech-to-text. And so I would actually take podcasts, turn them into videos, <laughs> upload them as private videos on YouTube, wait for it to do the automatic like subtitling, download the subtitles, and turn that into the transcript, which is terrible and awful in lots of ways, and the actual quality wasn't very good. And then Whisper comes out, and instead I can write a script that just downloads it through the podcast episode, runs it on my you know, runs it right on my MacBook Pro and I get the result in a few minutes and, you know, it, it doesn't cost me anything. It's There's no infrastructure or overhead involved in this. You know, you can run the same model on an iPhone even and have it work um, with, you know, t- with some degrees of accuracy. And so it's this very different place to be. It just wasn't possible before.
0: How does this work?
1: Like, how do you generate these transcripts? Yeah, so, I mean, Whisper is just a... A technology that you feed it an mp3 file basically um and you it transforms it in a few few ways and then it gives you a a transcript as best as it can come up with of what that file is you know, what the people in that are saying um and you know in my case my goal was to make a search a keyword search quality um you know sort of part podcast retrieval tool mm-hmm. and so i make it so that t- which this is fine for. It's not a true transcript in the way that you know if you were wanted to read the content of this show. But if you wanted to find out when we talked about Reality OS, and you search for Reality OS, it'll be able to transcribe it and give you the place in the in the episode where we talked about it. And so it just is not you know it's this. I don't know. It's a magic black box that you feed MP3s into and get the textual versions of that
0: um, coming back to you on the other side. I did a search for reality OS and it currently doesn't find anything. Because I guess it's just, I don't even know. Because this is it, right? Like, because they're not human. No. There are things that are missed. Yeah. Right? So, like, because this, a human would hear that and if they knew what we were talking about, they would put it in there. And, like, and I know we've spoken about reality. Oh, I found it here. Reality space OS, right? Like, by sure. going, looking through the uh, the transcript, like, search results. But, like, I know, and you know, that's one word, right? But like, that's what you mean about this. This is not a, it cannot currently create a comfortable, readable transcript, but it can almost, I think of it almost like an index. It's doing like an index of the words to the best of its ability. And if you think about it, like, smartly in those ways, you can kind of find what you're looking for, right? Where like, if I was doing a search on something that I thought was perfectly transcribed type reality os and it said no results Be like okay there's nothing here but yeah because i know what the limitations of the machine are i can just search for the word reality and i will find what i'm looking for right
1: yeah and i think what's so interesting with so all of these systems is based on the input you give it is so determinant on what the output is so reality os currently doesn't get transcribed correctly because it's not a public thing that exists on the internet in like say Apple announces it at WWDC a year from now when they've updated their language model and that's a like a proper pronoun that exists in the English language Mm -hmm. it'll probably transcribe it 100% correctly that there's so many situations where now it gets brand names it gets you know trademarks correct because presumably it's you know indexing it's gone out and looked at all of the content on the internet and it's worked out well what are the what is in the English language what are these words and then how can we build a model to predict when someone was saying one of these words and so this it's these I feel like it's the same thing with all of these you know with with the chat systems or the image generation. It's so much a trend it's just transforming the input into some kind of useful output in an automated fashion. And so it's really complicated like if you're trying to transcribe something that is, a you know a, a very standard use of the english language or with you know nouns and you know proper nouns that uh, are known it'll do a great job and it'll be kind of amazing in that way um but if you otherwise it's just sort of guessing and doing its best and um that's just like the fundamental reality of all these tools i feel like is they're incredibly powerful but they're not intelligent like we call it artificial intelligence which is not really what's happening it's just really powerful, careful automation that can enable people to do cool things more quickly. Um, but it's not actually intelligent in that way. It's just a, sort of a giving you more handles or more inputs into information um, that you previously wouldn't have been able to do. That it's, I mean, the reason I got started with going down this road is like I love listening to podcasts. And very often I think to myself you know oh what what episode did they talk about that like oh you know i remember this thing on you know there was this episode of connected where federico talks about how he got you know this very particular device or something like that ooh when was that Kick and sense. like that's really that's a really complicated question to answer mm-hmm. cuz you can't just search google for it in a way that if you know federico had written an article on Mac stories well i could just google and like say site macstories.net and they're good you know boom it's going to find it um but you know Audio was just not indexable in that way, but now it is. And like that transformation is just the kind of the amazing part of this.
0: How much energy or power does it take on your Mac to produce one of these transcripts, say for an episode of this show?
1: Sure. So, so like for an episode of Upgrade, which is typically maybe, maybe like an, an hour and a half long, mm-hmm. something along those lines, um, I can generate a transcript on my M2 Max MacBook Pro in maybe about 20 or so minutes, 20, 25 minutes, um, which is reasonably fast as a, you know as these things go. But during that time, it is completely using every core of the device. Um, and <laughs> the fans come on and it is, you know, it, it, if you ever wanted to, you know, cook, cook an egg on a MacBook Pro, this is how you do it. <laughs> um, and I can say going back and re-indexing the entire back catalog of upgrade, of connected, of of the accidental tech podcast, of the talk show, there was a lot of heat being generated on MacBook Pros in my office uh, for quite some time.
0: <laughs> You're just like slowly wearing those clothes down. Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I, it definitely made me a little nervous that I was like, huh, like, should I, should I, you know, should, should I be worried that I'm gonna like, you know, overcook my MacBooks? But I was like, I'm no, no, like, no, this is, it's like it says Pro in the name, right? This is if, if mm-hmm. I was a you know, a researcher doing some kind of those people they always show in Apple keynotes of like these, you know, scientific people who use Mac pros to do protein folding or something like they would be doing this. This, this is well within the spec, but it definitely made me a little nervous to be, you know, seeing my my device be running at that, you know, that hot for that long, you know, because I think it was, you know, in the course of maybe about two weeks, 24 mm-hmm. hours a day. So, you know, it's definitely not something that is like lightweight in that way where you know, you can do it. And if you wanted to, you can run this on an iPhone and it works, you know, but it, that's one of those, you f- you definitely wouldn't want to do it you know, without, be, you know, without being plugged in because it would absolutely destroy your battery. Yeah. And like the back of the phone, you know, you can feel exactly where the chip is on the iPhone's back because if you run your finger down, it'll be like scorching hot. Like it's, yeah. you know, because especially there, because it's entirely passive. So all of the heat is just trying to, doing its best to radiate out um, otherwise. So... It's it's definitely it's it's po- and the, the, the amazing thing is that it's possible that like I don't need some dedicated you know uh, device like it's not like oh you need to get a Mac Pro with an Afterburner card and then you can do this
0: or like how you know Google and Amazon etc build these specific chips right for machine yeah. learning like they put in servers. So you know, like it is. It, I guess it's taking advantage, I I guess it's taking advantage of the neural chips inside of these machines. I don't know that. Is it not? So so, Whisper has not yet been uh
1: sort of ported or uh, adapted to take advantage of that um, in a way that okay. like Apple themselves with Stable Diffusion they like Apple came had you know created a version of cable of Stable Diffusion that could work with the you know the all of the core ml stuff that apple has been adding to their chips for years but it's right now i, I don't believe there's a version of whisper that can do that okay
0: i believe i've heard that somewhere but I d- that could have be been making this up now so don't attribute it to me that apple are looking at that like in the sure. same way that they have other things of like how can they make sure that this stuff can run but
1: yeah i mean and if they do it'll be amazing cuz that's so Like purpose built, it's almost like you know this very purpose built bit of hardware that would speed both speed up the process and probably as Mm. a result do it so much more efficiently um, than having to do it on the you know do it on the CPU or the GPU on uh, on a device now. So like and especially if they wanted to make this something that worked well on iOS devices, it would be even more of a huge win there because I feel like every iPhone for years has been shipped with these neural engines that do nothing like 99% of their life, Mm -hmm. that there's just no, there's so few use cases where it makes sense to, but with things like stable diffusion, with whisper, with these kind of new AI things, finally, it feels like the payoff is coming for all this, you know, all the Silicon that's just been sitting dormant in iPhones for so many years. And like, that's exciting and interesting for me looking forward to like the next year of development is are there going to be like, there was a moment where all the profile like avatar generators were super hot on the app store. And, you know, that was most of those had to be run on the server side. But if Apple did some work in iOS 17 to make those kind of things possible to run on an iPhone, you know, in super real time, very lightweight, very optimized for the neural engine, like how amazing would that be? And how kind of cool and interesting would that be as an unlock that it's not this like we were talking about with the headset. It's not the situation where only the new people who are going to have it. It's like every person who has an iPhone since you know whatever it is, the iPhone ten or something, has has a neural engine of some you know variety in their phone that they could use to take advantage of this. And so that would be just amazing.
0: That would be an interesting thing for Apple to do for seventeen, right? To to show off some kind of machine learning capability that they. That people would be interested in now, and maybe a way they wouldn't have been before. Yeah, right. Because it's like, hey, you remember that thing that that is that you you know you know that thing that is loved to do right now? Well, you can do it all on device. And how much would that fit in with Apple's kind of mentality, right? The on-device ness of it all. Yeah,
1: and like I could see, I could you could imagine a world where like I have no idea how whisper compares to their current dictation system in iOS. But it seems very good. It seems very impressive. And it makes me wonder about if Apple would benefit potentially from, you know, making their own version using the same technology and concepts behind this and, you know, building it into iOS. And then if they do that for themselves, then they can make that available to, you know, developers through some kind of very lightweight, wrapped, you know, hyper-performant system and then it starts to get really interesting for what that opens up for, you know, where, you know, you have, you know, a, a podcast app that can show you a live uh, subtitles for what you're listening to, or yep. when you hit share, it, you know, the shareable clip includes all of the, you know, a live, you know, indexed transcript of what's happening. Like these things, it's it's so different when you can suddenly do them yep. in a lightweight, performant way on device. Do it right, you know, where the user is. You can do it offline. All of those sort of advantages start accruing that. Um, Is where it starts to get very exciting for me.
0: So there were um, Mark Gurman reported in his Power on Newsletter. Apple had an event, like an internal event, um, a few weeks ago, which is their like AI summit. It's kind of internally dubbed as like nicknamed as WWDC for AI, but it's just for Apple employees. Sure. And I've got a quote here. I'm not this. I'll just read from from Mark from Mark Gurman. In a brochure for the event, apple's AI chief told employees that machine learning is moving faster than ever, and the talent we have here is truly at the forefront It's an interesting like they're at least focusing yeah. on it, and we've seen it right like as you said like we've seen it we've seen them do enhancements to the operating system to support and and uh uh it kind of know, optimize for some of these models it w- i think it would make a lot of sense for them to have some kind of like you know, what is now called AI-focused features for the next couple of versions of iOS because they could, it could really catch on with people. Yeah,
1: and I think, too, it's it's an opportunity for them to do AI in a way, sort of in the, the, the way that they would talk about it in the sense of it's like in a way that only Apple can, right? It's that sense of, like, when they did their image indexing system in photos, I remember, like, Craig Federici talking about how they you know they did the work to build their own training set of like appropriate images for you know defining what a mountain is or what a dog is. Um, and did it in a way that then they didn't just scrape the internet and then use that as their basis or use user photos as the basis for it. They did it in a way that is much more predictable, reliable, like legally sound, All those kinds of things, and like I could imagine them going down that road with a lot of these types of features, and saying, "We like this exists other places." You know, if you wanted to generate an image, you could do it with you know Stable Diffusion or Dolly. But if you do it there, there's all these questions or difficulties or ambiguities about how that works. But if you do it with our system, we've taken care of all that. We've done it kind of like quote the right way in a way that you know, everyone else is doing it the easy way or the cheap way. This is the Apple way. We're going to Mm -hmm. do it the best way. And that would be very interesting to see where they could go with that because they have devices that are capable of this and they have kind of a a history and a pedigree of going down that road. And the results are great. Like when they did, uh, you know, image indexing on the iPhone, initially they were doing it in a way that was like totally different than everyone else because everyone else was doing it in the server. And, Kind of doing it using building models based on user images. Apple went the other way and they did it completely on device and both their own kind of internal image sets and training models. And but like the result is amazing. And the stuff that iOS 16 can do, where if you know you it can you ask it to show me pictures of the beach and it'll show you all the pictures where you were at the beach. And you can ask it very sophisticated, nuanced questions, and it will be able to answer you. In terms of what is the content of my images, is there text in the image? You know, you can select it and search it, and like that kind of stuff is just where they're doing. They've done this in a very different way, um, and it's been very impressive. And so I think it's very exciting for them, you know, for me to imagine that that's how they see themselves, and both, and it's something that they care about enough that they're putting in their own version of it. That they're not sort of worried about not being first; they'd rather be best. And I think that's, you know, a great place for frapple to find themselves because if the general, you know, the, the incredible growth in AI systems recently in the public sphere, it's like makes me very curious and intrigued to see where they're going to be, um, you know, on, on their internal side coming at it
0: from a potentially more rigorous uh, approach. If you enjoy this show and you want to get more of it, why don't you subscribe to Upgrade Plus? Not only do you hear no ads in any episode, you also get bonus content every single week. You also become a Relay FM member, so you get access to a ton of bonus content. The Relay FM members' Discord, which is a great place to be, you go to getupgradeplus.com. You can sign up for just $5 a month or $50 a year, and you'll be helping support the show. On last week's episode, uh, we, me and Jason and I played a game of Marvel Snap together in the show notes for the Upgrade Plus version there is a video recording of the game with our audio over the top so you get access to that in this week's episode I have a ton of ask underscore questions that came in we're going to do a bunch in a moment but we have tons more that were submitted by FM members that we're going to do in Upgrade Plus so if you want this and no ads go to getupgradeplus.com are you ready for some Ask Underscore questions? Beautiful. Look at that. The lasers, they're still here. First question comes from Joe, who wants to know, what additions or improvements are you hoping for WidgetKit this year? Yeah, so I think the main thing that I feel like I would love
1: to see WidgetKit get um, in a you know iOS 17 is a broadening of what lock screen widgets are. Um, I feel like they were really interesting, really, they're they're a very cool, compelling, popular feature, but what they can be and how they look is so limited and so often limited in weird ways that it's kind of frustrating for me as someone who spends a lot of time trying to make widgets awesome. Like there's only so far I feel like I can make lock screen widgets awesome because there's no color. Layout options are really limited. The size options are very limited have a giant lock screen but you can only put them in these very specific places and the one above your lock screen has almost no customization options whatsoever like it feels really limited and so i think i would be very excited if widget kit got more options there that if we could do color widgets on your lock screen you can or there's a new you know different sizes or even you could take your home screen widgets and put them on your lock screen or you know crazy things like that would be wonderful and i think very exciting Um, to kind of push that forward. And especially now that we know kind of what it looks like with the always on and some of the other concerns and things that I could imagine if, you know, going came into play with lock screen widgets this year where, you know, they were announced before the always on display was announced. And so there are certain things in there that are kind of inherent and challenging and they have potentially evolved what they think of with the always on lock screen, where, you know, initially it always had the image in it. Now it has the image, or you can go to a black wallpaper when you're in always on. And I feel like those evolutions and refinements mean that there's a bigger possibility for what lock screen widgets could be. And I think that's where I'd be most excited. I mean, if there were any changes to widgets anytime, I'm always excited. Like, I'm super up for (laughs) taking on whatever Apple wants to give me on widgets, but that's the area that I I feel like home screen widgets feel pretty good. They feel pretty robust, and I don't have nearly as long of a kind of wish list on them uh, than I do with lock screen widgets right now.
0: Do you think we're ever going to get interactivity on home screen widgets? (sighs) I don't know.
1: Like, I think what's strange about that is I... As someone who has a lot of users who, you know, interact with widgets on a very regular basis, I don't hear a lot about requests for interactivity.
0: They're not asking you, right? Like, can't I do this? Can't I do that kind of thing?
1: Yeah. Like, it's just not, it it doesn't come up in the way that I, like, would have expected it to, in a way that I think people are pretty happy with them not being interactive. Obviously, like, if they became interactive, people would be happy and you'd have new things that are possible. Um... I think the things that I hear more are people wish they could be updated in ways that were more live and real time or like being able to show animations or videos or those kinds of things on the lock screen or on the home screen would be compelling. But being able to interact with it, like putting buttons there just hasn't been something that I I sort of hear about uh, as much. And it's something that... Sure, it'd be cool if it happened, but I'm not, I, I think the, the way they went around about it makes a ton of sense technically, that it's this very predictable thing that you can put on your locks, and, you know, put if you're going to put it on the home screen, it needs to be kind of bulletproof because if, you know, the home screen, you know, you do something weird as a developer and it like crashes your home screen, well, that's like your, your phone is in trouble in a way that yep. you, you have, if you do something weird in your app and your app quits, well, you're just back to your home screen. Like the home screen has to be bulletproof. And I feel like the way that they've done it by making them pre-rendered and stable is a way of making that like guaranteed. And so I don't expect that necessarily, Mm. like sure, if it would be cool, but I don't hear a lot of requests for it. And it's not something that I feel like is as compelling as it's like conceptually, it would be compelling. But in practice, even back in the day when we had interactive widgets with, the, the old today style widgets, like it wasn't, I don't think that the, the interactivity was the, the the killer feature. I think the putting that information in a place that is accessible and then making it, you know, customizable by the user is what's cool rather than necessarily being able if like, if you want to interact, interact with the, you know, interact with the app, tap on the app and you can, yeah. you know, yeah. get into that. And I think some of the changes they've made with that, you know, about the, being able to, you know, launch into other apps and those kind of features have made it really compelling. So like sure if it happened, but it's that's not something that's really on my to sort of to do list or my radar.
0: Yeah, I would say personally, I have not missed the or like I, I don't particularly feel like I need interactivity in my widgets. Like yeah. I kind of see my widgets more as like little windows into the app. Like if I wanna do something, I'll open the app, do the thing. But other than that, it's just here's some information. I don't feel like it's something that I'm really that that I really miss as much as I thought I would when yeah. it seemed like that that was the way that it was gonna change with how widgets were gonna be. Rob asks, how do you balance the many apps in your portfolio? I've been happily using Pedometer Plus Plus and related apps for years. When Widgetsmith became a breakout here, I was happy for you, but worried that the support for other apps that I use would drop to a minimal. I have been very happy to be very wrong about that, but I don't understand why. Is it for diversification in your business? I mean, I would say since things
1: like Widgetsmith becoming you know, wildly successful and popular when it first you know, had its moment when it went viral on TikTok, like, I am less diversified and less Uh, broad in my approach as a result of that, that I think I'm I'm glad if people think that the other apps are still getting attention and it feels that way to them um, because they're getting some attention, but not nearly as much. And I think this is just the, the reality of working on a portfolio of things makes sense. Sort of, I give, I give products the attention that they kind of can pay for, like if they were a consulting client, like back in the day before <laughs> I, I made apps, I was a you know I did, was a consultant, and you know I would you know clients would buy a certain amount of my time and you know pay me for it directly. And in some ways, I view my apps um, in a similar vein, just you know with with a slightly different perspective. Where you know Widgetsmith is by far has the broadest audience that I have and has the most potential for me to to do things, and so. I spend the most time on it. Like it sort of it buys that time for me. And yep. you know, Pedometer Plus Plus is gets the next biggest chunk of that. Um, and then, you know, my other apps from there kind of falls off very dramatically. That um beyond that, apps that I'm working on, I'm either I'm primarily working on because they're exciting to me. Like I'm pr- they're more of a hobby or something that I enjoy working on, or I have a personal reason to work on them um, rather than it being like a business decision. And I think. That's an evolution of the way that I work. Like when I started and certainly I mean, I've mean, i been doing this for 14 years or something, I've been making apps now. Um, and so in the early days of the app store, the like the best way to make, you know, sort of to, to try and make it was to build lots and lots of different things. And that was because not a lot existed. You know, there were no apps on the app store. So anytime you made something, it was new and interesting and pushed something out. Whereas now, those opportunities i find are are much fewer and far between and there's a much better return on enhancing and going deeper into things that have already found traction that trying to get traction is so difficult that it's better to just sort of double down on things and so i just kind of balance them by based on their general popularity and then when i have you know periods of you know, there's inevitably in the Apple developer cycle, there are going to be kind of these quiet periods where, you know, there's not much that Apple is doing right now um, in terms of new stuff versus, you know, from June to September. So June to September, like Widgetsmith was my primary focus. And I was doing everything I could to have the most compelling thing day one for that. Some of my other apps, not so much. If they got an update, that's great. But if they didn't, it was fine. And so I think there's just a maturity that you kind of have to have to be realistic and understand that sometimes it's going to disappoint people who care about one of the less popular products are just going to be kind of, you know, it's like if you're a big fan of the, you know, whatever, the Mac Pro, and you're you're going to get sad that Apple puts all their attention on the MacBook Air, but that's just the reality. That's just what makes sense. And it's, you know, all those those same forces are magnified, you know, a thousandfold when it's just a one-person developer trying to make those kind of decisions about how to best allocate your time.
0: Oz asks, where do you predict the Apple Watch could go in the next few years? Do you think we're getting close to third-party watch faces, or is this still a pipe dream?
1: Oh boy, third-party <laughs> watch faces. I mean, third-party watch faces are, like, my, that's my dream feature. Like, that is the thing that I, I enjoy making them. Like, I make them now. They don't, like, that doesn't exist as a thing that Apple has created there's no like third party api for watch faces but i have found ways for years now of making my own and like you know you you and i have met up in person and you still look if you look at my wrist i'm very rarely running a apple watch face mm-hmm. because i like my own better i've come up with dozens of these over the years i think they're super compelling and interesting but that's just not been a place that apple has uh kind of decided to put effort into and i don't At this point, it is certainly a conscious choice. There is nothing technically why they couldn't. I mean, I'm making apps that pretend to be watch faces and running them in kind of a way that doesn't make a lot of sense and isn't necessarily the most battery efficient. Like, if they wanted to, they could do this so much better. But it, it seems to be a conscious choice that they have not done. And I think what is complicated there is the future of the Apple Watch is whether that is they're holding it back for a kind of using it you know they have this trump card in the back that they're trying to play at the right moment where they can get a big impact or they have a quiet year that they want to you know turn into something big and if that's the case like this year would be really cool it's the 10th anniversary of you know watchOS it'll be watchOS 10 like it'd be a great time to have a big splashy feature but like otherwise the it, you know the, hist- the if i was trying to predict the future of the Apple Watch i would say you know history shows us that every year what they'll do is they'll add a couple of new workout modes and a couple of new kind of workout fitness related things you know it's every year there's something new that they're doing there um, there'll be some new capability on the new hardware that is an improvement, kind of an evolution of of what's happening there um, and they'll add two or three new watch faces of their own and you know it's like if I was gonna like place a bet on what watchOS 10 and the series 9, watch was going to look like that's what i would predict like i think that's um the most likely scenario i think the only thing kind of pulling it slightly differently this year that you know if i'm going to try and do a little wish casting is this year you know last year they dropped support for the series three three apple watch um but that you know that was the first year that they did that and i'm curious to see what a full year of being unencumbered by the series three looks like um for watchOS, that I think that's interesting to me, that they'll st- have... I don't know at what point they decided they were going to drop, drop the Series 3. Like, if that was a something they knew going into all of watchOS 9, then, you know, maybe it doesn't actually make a difference. But if it they didn't know that until, like, January of, you know, of, of last year, um, and so there were some choices they couldn't make because it would have had to support the Series 3... Like that would be interesting and compelling and uh, you know, intriguing to see what happens. And similarly, like what's going to happen with the Ultra, which is this very different, you know, model to it. Are they going to? Is this a device that's going to be supported and upgraded regularly, or is it just kind of be this thing that happened once and you know will get updated every few years? And from a you know, a software perspective, doesn't get much. So it's hard to say. But I mean third-party watch faces, I'm so there for that. Like, I will be shouting as at the top of my lungs and jumping up and down if that ever happens at a WWDC.
0: Maybe definitely be a new watchsmith there, I feel like, if that was the case. Uh, I i am intrigued by the idea of there could be something that they are able to do now or a set of things they're able to do now because they can they can be more they can they can rely more on the hardware and what the hardware is capable of because series 3 to series 4 was a big jump right like the, yeah. the series 4 watches they have remained kind of like better like you know better in uh, over the long term than the series 3 and i guess they also stopped selling the series 4 and the series right the series 3 just kept selling it which is just dragging yeah. everything back yeah and jonathan asks When you want to implement a feature in an app, but you don't know how, what is the process that you work towards building something into your app? Do you start with documentation, tutorials, or example projects? And what do you do if there aren't a lot of resources? So what is your learning process? Like, how do you um, understand new things? And how do you kind of like test putting them into your applications?
1: So, I mean, I think everyone has a different approach to learning. And... Mine tends to be very experimental and kind of I very much am on the side of rapid prototyping, get something working, build it as quick as you can. Um, And that's the best way for me to learn Um, that I don't really read a lot of documentation. I think the only bit of Apple documentation that I would actually could say that I have read is probably the human interface guidelines, like the technical you like documents that sometimes get produced or like the swift language guide and things like that. Like I, I just, I just can't do it. Like those hurt my brain. I'm not that kind of developer. Um, and tutorials, I have a similar kind of difficulty. Like I struggle just wrapping my head around something unless I can see it and use it. And I'm in Xcode doing that. Um, and so if there's a new feature I want to build, I just start. I suppose. Like, I just will think, okay. Well, what is like a basic version of this, or how can I probably first step is is this a problem that I can solve at once, or do I need to break it into five smaller problems? And then I break it down into five smaller problems and try and pick, you know, pick the first one and just try and build it. And if I don't know how to do it, I'll tend to just like either experimentally do it or just do a lot of Google searching and you know, kind of looking around or those kinds of things um, because usually. There is most things tend to have, they're not, you're not the first person to solve a problem. Even if it's a new technology, a new platform, there are rules or things that you can benefit from where you can kind of be taking your past experiences and bringing it forward. Or I try and say like this new thing, how is this similar to something else um, that I've done before? And in my case, you know, I've been making apps for uh, 14 years now. I've launched something like 60 different apps over that time. Like I got a lot of back, I got a lot of code in the catalog that I can go and look at and pull from and, you know, kind of learn to see if I can take this thing and adapt it into the new thing, which isn't necessarily the best always in terms of I'm not doing these kind of clean room. Oh, Apple introduced this totally new technology. Let me just implement it in a totally new way. It's like very often I'll end up saying, is there an old, can I use this old version and make it better and then refine it and move it forward going uh from there but like for me that's what works best and i feel like for a lot of you know my best advice usually to someone who's trying to get into app development or wanting to learn something is find a problem that you feel like you are excited and passionate about solving and then just start trying to solve it and that is the best way to learn that trying to you know r- learn it theoretically never works for me it's it's there's something powerful about like the most exciting part of my job is when I hit build and run and then something that didn't exist before now exists. Like this capability, this feature, whatever that is, like there was a magic in kind of taking this thing that is theoretic, you know, in your brain and turning it into reality. And that is like actual, feels like magic. Like it is, it, it just, you know, it's turning something from nothing into something. And so I... Just go through that process and try and do it as many times as I can. How can I make this from something that doesn't exist into something that does exist and get started? And if you do that enough, you start to get good, you kind of learn how to learn um, you know, through through that process. And I feel like if you get too stuck in documentation or feel like you have to understand something before you try it, you'll hardly ever start. And
0: that's, you know, definitely worse. Thank you to everybody who sent in a question for School. If you would like to send in questions for our next episode where you will be asking things of Casey Liz, just go to... I don't, I don't know why that made me laugh to say that, but yeah, if you want to make Casey answer for his crimes, go to upgradefeedback.com and you can submit questions uh, for me to ask Casey on the next episode. Uh, But most importantly right now, I would like to thank you, Underscore David Smith, for joining me on this episode. It has been wonderful and fascinating to talk to you as always. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you would like to find David's work in the meantime, here's a few places you can go. If you want to find his blog, David does a great job, by the way, of you're going through, uh, I know some Pedometer++ plus plus stuff right now, and you've been detailing a lot of the kind of like design diary that you've been going through. Yeah. Uh, you can find out more about that and find out about David's apps at david-smith.org. org. is an interesting yep. URL you've got there. .org as well?
1: Well, there's... David Smith's a hard... It's, it's a very popular name.
0: <laughs> can't you get, like, underscore something? Surely you must have one.
1: I do have a. I do have underscore davidsmith.com, like, spelled out, but then you have the problem of, like,
0: you How can't you, use underscores uh, in
1: URLs. And Yeah. So david-smith.org
0: works. Have to do what you just did and say spelled out, which is... That's yeah. no good. Yeah. All right. David hyphen or David dash. That's the word I was looking for. Smith.org. So you can find out more there. Or just... If you Google David Smith, what happens, do you think? I think if you do David Smith app, I would be the top uh,
1: result. But David Smith, there's a famous sculptor who uh, was also called David Smith. So he's usually the number one hit.
0: I mean, I just got the number one hit is a British embassy security guard convicted of spying for Russia who's going to spend 13 years Not in prison. Me. Are you sure? Not me. That was three I'm, days ago. So Google is is full of this right now so your uh your your google uh, juice is not good right now your seo yeah. is bad so
1: search for widget smith search for pedometer plus <laughs> plus those are those are trademark
0: names that are going to be much more unique too. there you go and widget smith you know everybody knows it right yeah. who's not using it come on you can also listen to david's podcast here under the radar on relay fm and david is underscore david smith you're on social, right i am yes Great. You can listen to my shows of course here on Relay FM, check out my work at Cortex Brand, and I am iMike on mike.social. You can send us your feedback and your questions to upgradefeedback.com. Thank you to our members who support us uh, with Upgrade Plus. We really appreciate that. And thank you to Squarespace and Text Expander for their support of this week's episode. I'll be back next time. Until then, thank you for listening. Thank you to David Smith. Say goodbye, David. Goodbye.